welcome to The Connected Generation. My name is Nike Anani and I am your host. This week's episode is just wow. I'm joined by Tiffany Hanson-Kram. She is co-founder of a group called Legacy Mentors. And I don't even know, what did we talk about? What did we not talk about? We went in <laughs> about things we're not supposed to talk about. The dark side of wealth. How can, you know, wealth become a source of empowerment for the next generation as opposed to a cage? How there's a lot of wealth shaming in society. And she said one line that I just absolutely love. Shame stops you from shining. And it stopped me in my tracks. And it's been ringing in my head. Shame really does stop us from shining as individuals in our personal lives, in our businesses, and within ourselves. But anyway, I don't want to spoil it because there's just so much meat in this episode. It's so layered. So check it out. Hi, Tiffany. Good afternoon and welcome to Connected Generation podcast. It's great to have you here. Yeah. Hi. Thank you so much. Yes. So you're co-founder of Legacy Mentors. Can you introduce what Legacy Mentors is all about and your journey into this space? Yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure how, how detailed you want me to be here, but um, <laughs> Legacy Mentors is a mentorship firm for family offices in bringing meaning to wealth. So um, for a little bit of background, I was in the family office space planning conferences and I had a special interest in impact investing and the meaning that that brings to wealth, um, kind of flowing the money in positive directions that would bring health and wealth for everyone on the planet. Um, but I was noticing that everyone was kind of catering to this financial aspect of family offices um, and really putting the, the health of the business and the health of the finances above what was actually happening in the family. And I think because of that dynamic, uh, people weren't really clear on what kind of impact they wanted to have. Um, they weren't quite clear on what fulfillment would look like, what freedom for them would look like, what happiness, what a healthy family life looks like. Um, all of these dynamics that, you know, really lead into giving us clarity and purpose in what we're doing instead of just kind of you know, being at the service of all the whims of everyone else and, you know, what kind of financial gain that all those can bring. Um, it's kind of flipping the script and focusing on the person and the family first. And that's so important. I mean, a lot of people just kind of drift through life without really having clear purpose, especially when it comes to wealth. Mm. Wealth is often viewed as an enabler and is often viewed as what we all kind of aspire towards, but there's also um, the dark side of wealth for those that are on the inside. Um, yeah. And there's also a lot of wealth shaming. I remember our first conversation we had about how there's a lot of wealth hating in society and it's almost acceptable. It's not even taboo, whereas it's unacceptable, for instance, to hate someone because they're a woman or it's, to hate someone mm. because of the they're they're black or they're an ethnic minority, but you know there's a lot of 
the rhetoric in society and in the media is can be very health wealth shaming and wealth hating as yeah. a result of this it can be very lonely and difficult for the next generation so the psychology of wealth is really important for us to really gain understanding on and i wanted to know from your perspective how can you know wealth be a source of empowerment as opposed to a cage to the next generation wow you you touched on a lot of super deep stuff there um and i appreciate you tackling those topics because money is taboo you know wealth is really taboo and what you said about this discrimination essentially that's happening against wealthy people i don't think we're even allowed to say that because we're, not. we're saying how how could you possibly you know call yourself a minority group or being discriminated against or you know it's not a form of oppression or suppression in that sense but it is a social pressure um and it's it's very painful in any circumstance to be othered to be considered not belonging not part of the group not um valid of you know not worthy of having a voice um not worthy of taking having your own strength and opinions and desires i think um part of that shame probably that you know next gens carry more than anybody else is just being in this limbo of you know not having this claim to you know making it from <laughs> making it from the ground up and being the yeah. being the hero or being the kind of wealthy person that we love to worship mm. um but it's you know being in that position and having all the pressure of the stewardship and mm. all the pressure of everyone else's needs and desires um without necessarily being born with your own kind of voice and i think the heaviness of that shame probably brings an additional level of resistance to being able to to stand on your own two feet and find your own voice um but you know i'm i'm someone who really believes that shame in any circumstance is not healthy yeah. because it's it's always something that's holding you back from mm -hmm. from shining from showing your genius from showing what you're capable of in any of those circumstances um and that shame i i think is particularly difficult to get over because you don't have many people who can identify with it um not many people to talk to about it mm -hmm. and yeah and a lot of people who are openly vilifying mm. uh, wealth and and wealth ownership so yeah i the next gens that i know personally and i am not one so i think i i can have kind of a you know i can say what i think on this without being shamed for it but the next gens that i know are amazing amazing human beings mm. really thoughtful really conscientious wanting to give to other people sometimes not having the power and the voice that they wish that they had so that they could make the difference that they want to see in the world but coming into it Mm. um i think they're they're brilliant they're well educated they're well traveled they see people outside of their cultures they see people outside of their boxes um and yeah i i think that if we remove that shame 
you know, mm -hmm. if we just said no, like I, I don't care what anyone else is might might be projecting onto me, what kind mm -hmm. of lack they might be projecting onto me or what kind of desire they might think that I have, they don't. We know that it's not true because we know that all of us have our struggles. All of us have our genius and I'm not going to let that shut me up or keep me from shining. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's kind of something that we all have to claim at some point in life. I love what you said, that shame holds you back from shining. That's so beautiful. And so if an ex-gen is stuck in that place of feeling mm. ashamed, what advice do you give them to be able to see themselves as that person of value, that beautiful person you've just described, as opposed to seeing how they didn't measure up or how society has placed them in a box? Mm. Yeah. It's, it's all that heavy programming that we grow up with. Um, you know, I think we spend kind of the first 20, 30 years of our lives trying to live up to this programming that we've grown up with and all of the expectations that we're supposed to be this and we're supposed to be that. And then after that, we have to then undo and unravel all of that programming to indeed discover who we really are and where our hidden genius lies. Um, you know, I, I try to teach my children to discover that early on, but it's very, very difficult because you want to belong um, and you, you don't want to disappoint people. But the truth, the truth is underneath all that. The truth is that, you know, if you try to meet everyone's expectations, you're not going to. And you're never going to wow them. You're never going to gain their respect or their true love if you are just kind of, you know, running after this and that and living in the shadows. Like, if, if you don't love yourself enough to really invest in your own voice and your own genius, you know, you're, you're not going to have that respect that you would if, if you were strong and courageous enough to stand in that, to know your own worth, which often I think means kind of separating yourself sometimes from whatever it is that you feel is trying to, trying to drain you of that or trying to enslave you to, someone else's goals, someone else's purpose. You know, if, you, if you're not the sun in your own universe, someone else will find you, you know, someone else will, will require you to rotate around them. That's just the way Ooh. of gravity, right? Please repeat that. That's so yeah, good. it's like... <laughs> repeat that. If you're not someone, the sun in your own universe, someone else will require for you to rotate around them. Ooh. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, so they, powerful. That's, that's how people are, you know, they, if you are this huge magnetic force, and a lot of these family patriarchs are, yeah. or matriarchs, whoever it is that, you know, had this charisma to, mm. to get other people to follow and support their vision, you know, if you can get sucked into that so easily. Mm. Um, and you can get sucked into multiple people's universes, following and kind of investing in their vision, their goal, which is fine. If you, if you can find your own strength and your own goals within their universe, that's fine. Mm. But if, if their own goals are going in a different direction than yours, then you had better leave their, their gravity pull. You had better leave their orbit. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> the years are going to slip by. They'll be gone. <laughs> your life energy zapped from you. 
Wow. What about those that find themselves on the outskirts of the universe and feel like they don't even measure up? They're the ones that have been, you know, called unmotivated, irresponsible, unproductive, the lazy next gen that, mm. you know, you know those when we had our first conversation and you, yeah. you had a very interesting perspective on on how that has arisen. What are yeah. your thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah, I I think that whole stereotype is baloney. Like It's so the 1980s movie, stereotypical, you know, entitled, spoiled kid who, you know, is acting up. Um, I mean, in my experience, I don't think anyone, when you really let them speak, when you really get down to it, everyone has a dream. Everyone has gifts. Everyone has a specific motivation and perspective. So if they're stuck in a system that is not valuing their genius, that valuing their life energy, valuing their voice, they're going to be suppressed. They're going to feel discouraged. They might get, you know, full on depressed. They might shut down. Um, and they're putting all those gifts in the closet because they don't fit into that universe. Um, and they have to find somewhere you know, and, and sometimes we find places that aren't that healthy <laughs> to, mm. to kind of express our voice and things. But, you know, that a lot of people find, find solace in taking up an art or a hobby or something. But this is, for me, very often a Band-Aid, a situation where, oh, you know, on, on the weekend, I get to do a little bit of this and I get to use my voice or I get to feel good. I get to express myself. I get to be in my creative flow and, and feel alive. And these are just snippets and moments when they could be your life. And that is sad to me, you know, that, that you're not in a, I mean, the kids are not in a space and maybe the kids are 35, but they're not in a space where they can really expand and and use all of their own skills, their own talents. So I think they have to find their space wherever that is. Maybe, maybe it's not in the family business. What's stopping them from fully grasping the wholeness of that, the totality of that truth um, and being authentic with themselves to say, you know what, um, I don't want for, for, to, to, to be congruent with my inner self just on a Saturday morning. I want this to be my life. In your view, what really stops us as human beings from being authentic? Yeah. Um, you know, that's a really complex question, I think, because there are so many things that can stop us. So I'll just say what I think the top one is, is that we're, we're risk averse and that we don't like change because we don't know what's going to happen. And we don't know what we're going to lose, but we think we might lose something big. So it's when we're in this kind of status quo, it's so easy And it can be so kind of lazy, really, to just keep things as is and not change the status quo. Um, So in that sense, I think COVID's been a real help for us because it has shattered the status quo and has allowed us to just say, you know what, you don't know what's going to happen in two weeks anyway, so why not just Mm -hmm. follow your bliss? It's so ironic, isn't it? Something so negative has, in a way open up possibility um you know 
Um, and I think possibility is something that is so empowering um, for us as human beings. We, we need to know that there's, it, it is possible to go for X, even in the mm -hmm. midst of so much negativity. And it's just like this fuel, this kind of ginger um, to keep us going. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. And I was having a conversation with a friend of mine and he was saying that um, the world's definition of success has changed over the years. Do you agree with that? And what are your thoughts <laughs> on that? Yeah, so yeah, because where in the world and who in the world is the question. Like you, we have so many pockets of subcultures and I can tell you that the older guys in the financial industry have no idea that the definitions of success have changed. <laughs> like, <laughs> but they have, they have um, in the younger generation and it's just a matter of time. Oh my gosh, has it changed hugely. Mm. Mm. I mean, the, I think younger people, and I'm going to say, you know, ages, 30 and, and younger, but probably, you know, the in-between ages like me, 41, we're, we're kind of in the hybrid mode, middle mode is this connection to other people, this connection to planet, this connection to our, our well-being and the source of our well-being well is so much stronger. Um, and ironically, the older generation accuse the younger people of being disconnected and being on their machines all the time which mm. i find hilarious like that doesn't make any sense to me because the younger people know what's happening on the other side of the planet and they care mm. and they care and they understand what's happening you know as and i don't think that the older generation can make for the most part the same claims to have this sense of connectedness so interesting you say that is is it could it be the knowledge has improved our connection um, we know what's happening on the other side of the world and that's why we care? Or do you just think we're just a different generation with different perspective, um, way we view the lens mm. through which we see life? Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of all of the above, right? Because we have so much access to information. Um, but also I can tell you like my daughters who are nine and 12, they're watching YouTube videos from kids in Malaysia, from kids in Australia, from kids, you know, in the UK. To them, it's all the same. So we don't have this concept of other like mm. the older generation. There isn't this huge separation between me and the kid in Moscow, for example. Like, you know, we both really like slime. We both, you know, <laughs> like we both eat, you know, disgusting jelly beans and make faces. So we realize that that humans are humans and mm. you know the similarities are that we can communicate between um between cultures and and demographics and also i think this wealth divide is you know generally smaller because we have access to so much information we feel close to these people whether or not they're close to our level of of culture or lifestyle i suppose mm. Mm. And what role does our inner work, our inner emotions play as leaders in businesses? Um, and what tips would you give next-gen leaders? So, yeah, first of all, I would say consider yourself a leader. Um, if you are 
and, and I don't care what position you have in the company. I don't care what um, titles or what ownership you have, as long as you are somebody who is actively pushing for growth, actively engaging with people, that you have vision, that you mm -hmm. have direction, that you're able to communicate and bring people along on that vision. I would say call yourself a leader. And I think that's important because it's ownership. It's mm. saying, you know, I, I see where we need to go and I'm going to do whatever I can to get us there. That's leadership. And we need leaders in every sector. We need leaders in every single uh, division and position. Um, mm. We need people of vision, period, because I think so many people are afraid of leading that we just end up kind of, you know, sitting stagnant, plateauing or turning in circles or, you know, doing whatever we did before, which is really unhelpful, especially right now. Hmm. And I remember you mentioned transactional leadership and mm. it stuck with me since that first conversation we had and it's been ringing in my head and it's so true our world is littered with transactional leaders but we really need more transformational leaders um what's yeah. the difference in your view and what does it take to become a transformational leader yeah yeah so this is a concept that's really been brought forth by a group that I'm a part of called the Argonauts, which is pushing forward this idea of transformational leadership, because we all know that we need a leadership change. Um, and that doesn't mean changing the people. That means changing what we consider to be leadership in this world, which does not mean, um, you know, upping shareholder value. It does not mean bringing in the biggest returns. It doesn't mean you know, closing the most deals like this, this so limited metric of how we have considered somebody to be a leader, not to mention, you know, the way, how tall they are, how they wear a suit and how they can bark at people. Like, you know, it's really ridiculous what we consider to be a leader, honestly. Mm. So, and, and putting everything on KPIs, um, is so limited because we're not taking into account what is, probably the most important metric of leadership within a company, which is if you look at why companies break down apart from cash flow, it's mm. their emotional junk. It is, it is their mental junk. You know, people getting in, in arguments, people being dishonest, people bringing their, you know, their personal lives and, and whatever emotional state is going on at home into the office. And we just won't talk about it. Um, this emotional intelligence that we've been talking about, but more than that, you know, it's having emotional intelligence. It's knowing how to relate to people, understand people, but keep the entire company healthy. You know, what does a healthy company really look like? Does anyone know? Because we have, <laughs> we, we've barely <laughs> tried that one. Like, um, you know, what do healthy, truly healthy employees look like? And, and what productivity could they bring? This just hasn't been a metric. Um, and hmm. so we see that rise in female leadership across the world. And we see that it's beneficial because these women leaders are thinking about the well-being of the totality. Um, so it's transformational in that sense because we're transforming leadership to be more than numbers. It's, the, it, it's what are the numbers for? <laughs> 
that's such a good framing, right? The numbers are supposed to tell a story. The numbers are not the end in of themselves. Well, and, yeah, and, and like, yeah. okay, let's say, you know, we're all hugely successful financially. What is that supposed to bring us exactly? What, mm. are, what is that financial success we're going for? What's the end game? Is it for us to um, have freedom? Is it for us to feel confident? Um, is it for us to be able to afford safety and security for our family and health for our family? Um, you know, like what, what do we really want out of those numbers truly? And why don't we go there first instead of, <laughs> you know, why, why don't we secure our own health and well-being first without having to rely on the numbers to do that for us, which they won't anyways. Powerful, extremely powerful. And you've got a movement from divorce to destiny. Mm. Let's speak a little bit about that, right? Yeah, just what is that all about? Yeah. And why are you so passionate about that? Yeah, I think, so that one ties into this whole concept of shame that we have um, because there is a huge amount of shame also around divorce and mm. also around breaking up and these kind of traditional roles that we've set ourselves out for this entire myth of the, you know, happily ever after till death do us part, mm -hmm. which happens for very few wonderfully blessed couples. And I'm so happy for them. Yes, it can happen, mm. you know, but it's rare. It's rare. Mm. And if we're just honest about that and we can look at each other as individuals and say, look, in our lifetime, we're going to have two or three major relationships, which means that we'll have, probably at least two major breakups, if not divorces. And every time that happens, it's a very painful, very complex transition where we're essentially changing our lives, whatever plans we had for the future, whatever we thought was going to happen, whatever our family setup was, even our work, you know, when we have businesses tied into marriages like I did, um, you know, our, our entire business life is uprooted, our entire financial life. When we're going through these tremendous transitions, we need to treat it with compassion and, um, and understanding that it's also an opportunity as well, just like COVID is. You know, your whole life is falling apart. You're at ground zero. What do you want? What are you going to create for yourself? And, mm -hmm. and, and not to shame people who are going through that or not to say, Oh, you know, it must be so terrible, the suffering and, oh, what a failure, your marriage. And, oh, I hope you can recover. And, the, you know, we, we turn it into this huge tra traumatic ordeal, which it's mm -hmm. difficult. Yes, but it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be traumatic. It mm -hmm. doesn't have to be um, destruction on all sides. We can do this with a lot of understanding and compassion. We can create a new life from this. It's one of those rare moments in life where you you get to clean house and assess a life mm -hmm. audit you know you you get to create a new who you're going to be and what your future is going to be it's a wonderful opportunity that is missed by so many who are feeling stuck in this in the trauma story in the failure story um and for me my divorce was an amazing um springboard into the life I now have. If I hadn't divorced, mm -hmm. I would have never challenged myself to rise to the potential that I have now risen to and continue to seek to rise because I see the value in 
in taking responsibility for creating my own life. Mm. That's so beautiful. And I think a lot of us fall victim to this performance type lifestyle. Um, And that's what gives rise to this shame. You mentioned the importance of compassion. Compassion by whom? Is it self-compassion? Is it compassion from those around you? Um, just unpack that a little bit. Yeah, that's, that's a really, um, really insightful question. Because I don't think as a society, as a global society, I'm going to say, I don't think we're ready for compassion on that scale. Because hmm. I think most, most people are still very much on this, you know, if you don't die together, you're a failure kind of story. So hmm. I think it's self-compassion to begin with. But the way I see things moving, the younger generation, the conversations around uh, conscious uncoupling, I would say probably in a good 10 years, it will be societal compassion. It's Mm. coming, but it's not here yet. So for now, we just need to practice self-compassion. And let me just add the caveat for people who are going through divorce that if you do practice that self-compassion, no matter what judgment is going on around you and what other projections people are having onto you, mm-hmm. when people see you loving yourself and rising to the occasion and now becoming a, a, an amazing, better version of yourself, mm-hmm. all of that judgment will disappear. It goes because they can't, they can't argue with the person that you've become. It's incredible. And I think, you know, divorce... You know, in your in your case, it was divorcing. You know, the end of a relationship with your um, ex partner. Yeah. But I think we also have a duty to ourselves to divorce things that no longer serve us. It might not necessarily be a relationship. Sometimes yeah. it's a mindset. Sometimes it's a position. Sometimes it's material things. And I think that same mindset of I need to show up for myself is important. Um, so I really love that mm-hmm. message. Um, you're you're so right. Society is not ready right now (laughs) to show compassion. We're still stuck in this place of it's the best case scenario would would have been for happily ever after till death do us part. Mm. Okay, that hasn't happened. So what next? There's still hope, right? There's still hope. It's not for those that are divorcees to be locked into a life of shame. Um, But... They need to live their best lives and be their best selves, right? Um, yeah. It's, it's an empowerment, I think, because when you, like when you said divorcing, you know, these kinds of major things in life, I mean, some people divorce their whole family, you know, uh, that's incredibly painful. Some people divorce their parents, essentially. I mean, you know, not officially, but in a sense. And when you have to disrupt your entire life foundation, you have this amazing view on life then you're no longer that identity that you were before, whatever you considered yourself to be. So then you figure out that you actually get to shape a new one. And then when you do that, you say, oh, well then, you know, actually I can shape a new one and another new one and I can try this and I can do that. And I can, Mm -hmm. and then, and then you realize that wherever you are, you're just taking on whatever skin you're in. You know, I, I happen to be born kind of an Asian European female, but Mm -hmm. I, I understand that this is just the skin I'm in Hmm. and I could have been born someone else in some other place. And I can identify with that too. And um, 
I, I won't live their experience, but I can, I can taste some of it. I can try this. I can try that. I can see what resonates with me as a person and not according to whatever situation I was born in. So, you know, for me, I'm, I'm fascinated with certain things that I've picked up along the way that I think belong to me mm. and that I think are intrinsically part of who I am, even though they have nothing to do with the way I grew up in my identity. Um, but they're things that I love. You know, mm. I love salsa dancing. I love jazz music. I love, you know, all, <laughs> all these things that I was able to, to taste because I was out of my little, out of my little box. So I, I think it's empowering to be pushed out of our skin, hmm. like, like the caterpillar and the butterfly, so to speak, you know? Hmm. And also empowering for your children. And I'm just hmm. thinking here in Africa, it's really taboo divorce, at least in the West and in, in you know, in North America and Europe, it's still more acceptable here. It's still socially not very well accepted. And in instances where couples divorce and they own the family business together and the next generation then have to deal with that ordeal, um, if they could divorce this way that you're describing, it really does create more emotional safety, financial safety for the next generation. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, this is the thing is that we don't have to annihilate one another and create destruction. Hmm. You know, this is so small minded, the, the egotistical notions of, well, if you're not with me, then you're not going to have anything or we're no Hmm. longer going to speak, or I don't want anything to do with you as if, as if because your life's mismatching or your goals mismatching, your desires mismatching was a reason to destroy another person or to hate another person. Mm-hmm. Um, especially someone who is family, whether you like it or not. If you have children together, you're going to sure. remain family. And as untasty as that might be, <laughs> distasteful <laughs> as it might be to you, they will remain family. And so the idea is treating each other with, re- with respect as individuals and saying, you know, w- what do you want for your life? And what do I want for my life? And how can we figure out how we can both achieve what we want without destroying each other and with providing the best possible situation for our children, for our family, or even for just our well-being? Because, you know, these situations where the friends have to choose, you know, they're saying, oh, Mm. now now they're going to war because they're going to divorce. So now who are we going to be friends with? And if we see the other person, do we have to keep it a secret and it's really ridiculous how we act as adults um, in these situations when we can just accept that it's okay for you not to be together for life. That's, Hmm. that's okay. You're, you're not going to be destroyed by it. It just means that people change situations Hmm. change or people mess up or people do something that is over your boundaries and you can't accept that. Okay. So, so they've done something, you know, that you find unacceptable but that doesn't mean that you need to turn it into a full-scale war. I mean, the way we, the way we approach divorce, I think, is, um, is from a place of ownership and from a place of abandonment, saying you own the other person. And if they reject you, you've been abandoned and therefore you must have vengeance. And it's such, mm. a, such an mm. old 
I mean, such an old um, like property, kind of a, like a disposal I, yeah, of property. It is. It is. There's, you know, you're claiming that person, and then hmm. when they're no longer yours, then you know, tell with them. So it's very archaic um, when we understand that. I mean, let's say if it's till death do us part, and one person dies at the the correct age of, you know, sixty five, seventy years old, fine. Uh, it's likely that the remaining spouse will marry again. Hmm. And are we going to shame them for that? Because they didn't die at the same time? It's very arbitrary how we consider things to be okay and not okay. Or the couple that remains married until they do die together, but they were absolutely, they they were miserable in the marriage. Are we going to applaud that one? Hmm. Are we going to congratulate them for their success after their 40 years of misery? You know, like how, how, how are we actually measuring our success in marriage? How about what if we, what if we measured our success by our ability to help each other flourish and grow? Hmm. Even if that means having to separate after 20 years. Wow. This has been an amazing, amazing conversation. Um, do you have any lasting parting comments to next-gen leaders um, as we close? Mm. Yeah, um, yeah, that's an interesting one. It's like if, if I had a microphone for all the next-gens on the planet, I would say, I'm excited. I'm excited for what you're going to do. Um, I'm excited for the capabilities you have to accomplish what you're going to do. I would say Godspeed and grab the microphone as soon as you can, because you do have something to say. You do have something to do. You don't need anyone else's permission. You don't need anyone else's authorization to do it. That's what I would say. Incredible, incredible. And if anyone wants to reach you, how best can they connect with you? Ah, um, well, you can find me at LegacyMentors.com or from DivorcedToDestiny.com, depending on what you're looking for. But uh, yeah, if you're going through divorce, um, I also have a Facebook group as well for support there. Um, Really high-level thinkers, really smart people, happy to have that conversation with anyone. Incredible. Thank you so much. Tiffany. Yeah, this thanks, Nikkei. Really I, I love your I love your program and all the topics that you're bringing forth. Well done. Thank you. Awesome. Wasn't that just so powerful? Like, where do we even begin? <laughs> Tiffany is so inspirational. And I love her message about having, you know, loving yourself enough to invest in your voice and your genius knowing your own worth and having the courage to leave things that are not congruent with who you are, right? She has a whole message about, you know, divorcing well. But I also think that there's a concept of divorcing things, divorcing other people, divorcing positions that we need to get our heads around. And it reminds me of a quote, one of these memes I came across on Instagram that I was just like ruminating on by Emily McDowell. She said, when spending your life working towards living the dream, make sure it's really your dream and not just a definition of success. 
you've been programmed to desire. Remember the importance of distinguishing between what you want and what others want for you and from you. And remember that choosing to change course or letting go of a once held dream doesn't mean you're giving up or failing. It means you're paying attention. It means you're evolving. And this isn't necessarily a sermon to say, you know, if you want to leave the family business, leave it. But I think there are many things in our lives that quite often we spend our time, our energy, money, living out someone else's dream. That might be our nightmares. (laughs) But we lack the courage to confront and to, um, to leave their gravitational pulls, right? But I really think there's a power that is exuded when we live fully congruent lives, lives that are authentic, lives where our inner selves match with our outer selves. And where we are able to authentically lead, we are actually more inspirational. We're able to lead by persuasion and not by position. We'll unpack this another time because this is too deep for just an outro. But thank you so much for tuning in. God bless you. Have a great day.